Well, good morning, church. How are you guys doing? Now, be careful as you answer that. We're talking about contentment. So, how are you doing? <laughs> right? No, it's not a trick question. Just wanted to know how you're doing. I'm doing good. We just came off uh, an elders retreat Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Just um, powerful time with the Lord. And I am so excited about the direction uh, that God and the plan that God is really laying out for us as a church. And like Todd said earlier, um, man, it's... Uh, it's, it's going to be a wild, wild three years, uh, next three years for Mission View Church. If you haven't had an opportunity to go by uh, the new building, uh, this, man, the second floor is pretty much in. They're going to be pouring concrete on the second floor here soon. Uh, the roof is probably about halfway done, probably more than that now, with uh, the nice weather that we've had that they're working on. And it's, uh, it looks like a completely different building. In fact, um, I don't know if you saw the article in the repository, but... I was looking at that article, and I just brought up some of the old uh, pictures of the building, and I forgot how, um, how bad it looked <laughs> before. But if you have a chance to look at those old pictures and then see it even now, unfinished, looks so much better. I just praise the Lord for the opportunity that base camp, this new building, is going to give us to raise up leaders, to send out missionaries, to send out church planters, and to grow God's kingdom, not just here in North Canton, but all over the world. So we're extremely excited, we're extremely blessed, and we're thankful to God for the opportunity. As we talk about all that stuff and we sang that last song, um, we're going to be talking about chasing contentment today. Contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction means the Christian can be self-contained because he has been satisfied by the grace of God. How many people here know that our world today is looking for satisfaction? And many of you are sitting out there right now singing, I can't get no satisfaction, right? The great theologians, the Rolling Stones. No, I'm just kidding. I can't get no satisfaction. That's the world is searching for satisfaction. In fact, all of humanity was created to seek out and search for satisfaction by our Creator God. And He created us searching for that to find that fulfillment, to find that contentment, to find that satisfaction only in Him. We were created to be in close-knit personal, intimate relationship with our Creator, God. And in that relationship is where we find true and lasting satisfaction, true and lasting contentment. But sin entered the world and just messed up everything. I mean, it's made it so difficult for us to, to do and be the people that God's called us to be, the struggle with temptation and, and the struggle of this enemy, this, this enemy that is going after us all the time. Contentment can be hard to find. So many wealthy, famous, and powerful people search for contentment or satisfaction in worldly things, and those worldly things only fall short, and then they end up in a deep depression or drug addiction, or, or even worse, they end up dead. We see it all the time. You can have all the money, power, fame this world has to offer, and you will still, without Christ, end up lonely, empty and wanting. I mean, without Christ, it's impossible. But with Christ, it's difficult. In fact, if you read through the Scriptures, you come to the book of Ecclesiastes, 
Solomon says this, one of the most wealthy men to ever walk the planet. He had everything that this world could offer. His words go like this. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. He's going to test his heart with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under, the, under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in, in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I, I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem." Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You can have it all. This, all this world has to offer. And it's all vanity. Apart from the presence and power of our Creator God. His Holy Spirit living in us, fulfilling us, and granting us grace and mercy and satisfaction in our relationship with Christ. What is it that could be greater than Jesus? What is it that could fulfill us, could satisfy us, other than Jesus? I ask that question, and the, the quick answer is nothing. Well, Matt, you just read out of Ecclesiastes. Of course, we're going to say nothing but Jesus. But do we live that? Do I actually live that belief out? Or am I searching and seeking and toiling after things that might satisfy me in this moment or in this minute? That's a hard question that we have to ask ourselves. And if it is Jesus, if, if He's the only one, if He's the only thing that can, can bring this fulfillment that I so deeply desire, that will bring that contentment that I can walk in, how do I get it? How do, how do I wrap my mind, how do I wrap my heart around him? That's what we're going to look at in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 2. I'm going to pray for us as we, you turn there with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We surrender our lives and we submit to your authority in this moment, actually with all of our lives, Lord, but specifically right now. Father, we lay our, our hearts and our minds at your feet and at the authority of your word. We pray that it would speak truth to us, that your Holy Spirit would bring to light what I'm about to read, that you would give me the words to share. I surrender to you. Use me. Use me as your tool for your kingdom and your glory and for our good, Father. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, says, Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, it does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Man, what a statement. I read that, I underlined that. I was like, man, depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So that that strong statement comes with a very powerful and deep, impactful, that we're we're going to unpack here. So just underline that and highlight that. Depraved in mind, deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But get this. Here's where the highlight, underline, and star should come. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. I'm going to stop us right there. And I want to give you the first fill-in in your notes today that I want us to really kind of wrap our minds around in this first part of the text. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Some people here, as Paul's talking to Timothy, they'd experience some people in the church trying to gain something with their good deeds. Or they're not doing bad things. They thought that if they were good enough, God would bless them with wealth and prosperity, maybe fame or power. This is a list of the things discontent people do or how they act. If we look at what he says there, that unhealthy cravings for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy. Maybe you're out there, you're thinking, am I discontent? You know, you know as we're thinking and working through this, do I have discontent in my heart? Well, let's look at this. Do we, are we unhealthy, cra- unhealthily craving for controversy and for quarrels? Do we enjoy drama? <laughs> Which produce envy? Are we envious? Is there dissension, slander, evil suspicions? Is there fr- friction among people in the, your relationships? These people that Paul's talking to Timothy about were thinking that maybe if they had enough faith, or did enough good things, if they didn't cuss, or they didn't smoke, or they served at the food kitchen every week, God would open up the floodgates of heaven and rain down gold coins and bless their life. They would have the favor of God. They viewed God like some kind of vending machine. I do my good works, and I, gain the, I put my little good works in this vending machine, and I'm going to get what I want out of it. But I want the really big thing, the really fancy car. I, I, I want the big retirement account, the big bank account. So I got to do real big deeds so I can put some, some paper into that vending machine. Now, this isn't just something that was going on back in the first century of the church. It is still going on today. There's portions of Christianity that claim God wants you healthy and wealthy All you have to do is everything right. All you have to do is you just line up all these things and you have the faith, you know, to move. You just do that and and God's going to give you whatever you want. Whatever you want. Let 
that if you live the right life, have enough faith, God will be your genie in a bottle. Just rub that lamp three times with food kitchen, giving big money, and being a nice person. Pop out the genie, and you'll get whatever you want. We call that the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel takes Christ off the cross and puts our good works or our faith in, its, in his place. It guts God of his sovereignty and puts our good works there instead. In the prosperity gospel, God does not graciously pour out his favor and blessings however he wills and because of his goodness and mercy, but rather he pours it out on those who have earned it from their righteous living and good works as they pat themselves on the back telling everyone how good they are. In prosperity theology, blessings do not find their roots in the goodness of God, in the grace of God. They find their roots in the goodness and faith of man. It puts us in God's place. I don't need God. I've got my good works and my powerful faith. I don't need Him. He's just a vending machine. I do this, 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 and this, and I get what I want. can have anything I want. He'll grant me the wishes of my heart. This leads to our lives and worship having a man-slash-God-centeredness to it, not a God-period-centeredness to it. With this broken theology, we would sing songs like, Thank you, Lord, for all you have done for me since I have been so faithful. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings you pour out on me because of my goodness. Some worship songs, they actually sound like that. We don't sing any of those. We would, ne- we would never sing any of those. But if you listen to contemporary worship music today, there's a little bit of that in there. It's terrifying. Terrifying. Man, this leads to all kinds of problems It brings man high and it brings God low. It makes wealth seem like favor, even though some really bad people win the lottery. Think about that. One of the worst things, though, about the prosperity gospel is that it puts the power of life and death in your hands, in our hands. Listen, brother. Listen, sister. If you just have enough faith, your little son, daughter won't die of cancer. You just got to have faith. Really? Is that how it works? Is that how it works? You're going to put you're going to put the death of a child on their parents? You got to be kidding me. That is an abuse of God's word. It is a misunderstanding. Well, I don't even think misunderstanding is a strong enough word. It is a abuse of God's word. It does so much harm. God is sovereign. God stands above all things. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. Nothing happens outside of his glorious will for our lives. And let me just tell you, inside of God's will are some really, really difficult things. Because sin is in this world. And death is still in this world. 
We don't understand it all. We don't understand how these horrific things that happen in our lives, we don't understand how all of these things in the end will work towards the glory of God. But we know that's what his word says. That's what his word says, that in the end, he's going to open our eyes and reveal to us his sovereign plan that he started before the world was created, before time began, set it into place, set it rolling, governed it in all of time, and in the end, he's going to open our eyes and show us this glorious sovereignty and providence in which he is just amazing. This prosperity gospel, you know, you study it in school and they tell you it came to light in the 15th century. No, actually, it came to light in the first hundred years of the church and Paul dresses it in 1 Timothy. It's been around forever and it is horrific and does so much damage. Let's move on in our text. In verse 8 it says, But if we have food and clothing... With these we will be content. It doesn't say with perfect health and a full bank account. We will be content. Hmm. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach reproach, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. Now the second thing I want to pull out of our text today and the second feeling is this. We need to take hold of eternal life. Take hold of the eternal life. Fight the good fight, a part of which is taking hold of the eternal life we have in Christ Jesus. If we want to find contentment, we have to understand, believe, and live in what we already have. We need to understand, believe, and live in what we already have. And what is that? It is everything. It is everything. We talked about it the last time I preached in Ephesians. God lavished, and through his love, just lavished and poured out all the good things on us. Everything is ours in Christ Jesus. We have everything we need. In Christ, we have everything. We are adopted as sons and daughters. We have an inheritance that awaits us in eternity with our heavenly, heavenly Father. And get this, contentment will continue to escape us as long as we search for contentment in temporary things. Because contentment in temporary things only lasts temporarily. Contentment in temporary things only lasts temporarily. Lasting contentment is found in the eternal. 
not the temporal. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The blessings that God graciously pours out on us while we're here on this earth are great. They're amazing. Think about the things that we have at our fingertips today. It's just amazing. But we cannot allow those good things, those good blessings to become our our hope, our security, or our peace. Our hope, security, and peace are solely found in Jesus, not in things. This is so hard, isn't it? I I just want to be honest with you. This This is hard. Because... Honestly, I, I find hope, security, and peace in knowing that I, I have a job and knowing that I can provide for my family. And those are good things. Don't get me wrong. That's good things. But what we're talking about here is ultimate hope and peace, contentment, not the temporary things. There has to be an, an overarching undeniable foundation from which we live out our lives and and enjoy the good gifts that God has given us. And that foundation has to be the belief and understanding. And when I say belief, I mean like true belief, like the kind of belief that determines what I do. That foundation of belief that God is the only one who can bring me that ultimate joy, hope, and satisfaction. Because it's a constant battle in our lives. Man, especially in the U.S., right? We just have all this stuff at our fingertips that make us feel safe and secure, right? And we just make those good things God things in our lives, Cap. You know, we try and make these God things in our lives, and that just destroys contentment. It destroys contentment. True contentment doesn't have as much to do with what we have but rather, what has our heart? Let me just say that again. True contentment doesn't have as much to do with what we have, but rather, what has our heart? So what has your heart? What keeps you up at night? What do you dream about? What do you daydream about? What do you do to recharge your spiritual batteries or just to unwind? Where do you find real spiritual rest? Or where do you find rest? I've been um, leading worship for our staff meetings. We, we uh, get together Tuesdays. We have our staff meetings in the mornings. And um, we want to practice what we preach. We wanna, so we have extended time of prayer, uh, time of worship. And um, so we do that before we get down to the business and work of ministry, which probably prayer and worship's the business and work of ministry, actually. The other stuff God just does through us. So, but anyways, as we were... as I kind of did this for our staff. We want to model that and live that out. But I have to be quite honest with you, it's really a selfish thing for me. (laughs) Because without worship and prayer, I would just die. I I would just 
fade away into nothingness and die. I find, I'm just being real with you, I find energy and hope and, I mean, just everything I need to keep breathing when I'm at the feet of Jesus. And it's, you know, I'll be honest, it's not like it's natural for me to be that way. It's something I have to work towards every day because there's other things that have my attention. There's other things that have, you know, that want to grab my worship. You know, I really enjoy playing golf. I, 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 was, I played my entire life. I, I have fun with it and uh, something me and my dad did together. So it, there's this real cool thing that, yeah, I enjoy that. But that's great and everything. But when I'm in God's word and I'm just reading and praying, or if I'm singing a worship song, there's something that God does in me that a golf course can't do. <laughs> that the perfect 330-yard drive down the middle of the fairway cannot do. As good as that is. As good as a 30-foot putt, Frank, I'm telling you, with five-foot break, as good as hearing that thing drop into the cup, that's not as good as sitting at the feet of Jesus. What is it for you? that's trying to draw your, your heart away. I mean, we all have those things, right? What is it? And I'm not saying we have to abandon those things like I'm never going to play golf again or anything else. But as I'm golfing, I'm just like, praise the Lord. You know what, that, that we can do this, that there's this beautiful landscape, that we have the ability to do this, and God has, you know, that just praise God. Praise God when I'm golfing. Praise God when I'm worshiping. Praise God when I'm preaching. What happens is, as we, as we grow in our, our refueling our batteries and, and coming to the feet of Christ in worship and in prayer and in fasting, what happens is that begins to overflow into your golfing. That begins to overflow into your shopping. That begins to overflow into your budgeting. That begins to overflow into your work. And what you find is you find yourself praying when you're at work. And you find yourself worshiping when you're on the golf course. And you find yourself doing these kinds of things. It's an overflow that comes because that foundation is there. And I truly believe that if, if I'm exhausted and if I'm worn out and if I have no energy at all, that all I need to do is pick up my guitar and sing a song or put on worship on the radio and sing along or open my Bible and study God's word or just fall to my knees and pray until I fall asleep, which happens all the time. That's confession. You know, right? We close our eyes in prayer. Has anybody ever done that? Or is it just me? You're like, oh, I need to pray. Dear Heavenly Father. Right? But I'm telling you, man, there's no better way to fall asleep. Fall asleep. Fall asleep praying. God's not there going, oh, he fell asleep again. What kind of prayer is he? No, absolutely not. True contentment doesn't have as much to do with what we have, but rather what has our heart, or I should say, who has our heart? There are certain things God tells us to do that can cultivate contentment. Worship. Being generous. Tithing. Sharing our God stories with others. Thanking God for what He has given us. These kinds of things are training in contentment. Think of them as like training our hearts in contentment. And we have to train ourselves to find contentment in Christ. It's not natural. I don't know about you guys, but it's just not natural for me to be content. I don't wake up in the morning and just be like, 
all right, I'm good. This is great. My life's perfect. I'm just going to go about my day. Maybe you're like that. Praise God, you're there, you know? But you have to work towards that, and then you have to work to keep that. Our hearts are constantly, constantly looking for something other than God to fill the gap. It is. It's just undeniable. It is a part of the fall since the Garden of Eden. It is a part of temptation. And if we just deny that and ignore that, we're fools. No, we need to train our hearts and our minds on Christ every day, all day. Our tendency is not worship. I don't, right? Like when bad things happen to me, I'm like, like, like praise the Lord. I'm, praise the Lord, the check just bounced. That's not how it goes. Praise the Lord, I'm being audited. That's not, our first response isn't like dropping to our knees in worship. But it can be. As God continues to, to grow us and, and pull us closer to him, and as we go and lay before his throne and just worship him and study his word and grow in our understanding of him, that begins to overflow into that letter from the IRS. And it, it overflows into the hard conversation you have to have with your kids. It overflows into that disagreement you have at work. When we find our contentment in Christ, not in our relationships, not in our status, not in our job or any of these other things. And that's why in this next part of the text, Paul gives this great description of who God is and what we are to do with the blessings that he gives us. Let's pick it up here. I think we're in verse 15, the second half, 15. He who is the blessed and only sovereign. I love this part of the text. I love theology. Blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. I could do a sermon right out of this section. I don't have time, though. Whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Man, Paul's just painting a picture, right? Let's just soak it in. Let's just soak this in right now. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this age, charge them not to be haughty. That means not to be prideful. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, that is our eternal future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. True life. Oh, Timothy, or I would say, oh, Mission View, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. The last thing I want us to really meditate on is this. Set your hope on God. Set your hope on God. Now, one of the big takeaways from this, this section here is that it's not wrong to have riches. It is wrong to put your trust in riches. And let's just be honest. If, if we live in America, for the most part, 
we are wealthy. If we looked on a global scale, we are wealthy. And we're looking at all of humanity, as God does. We, we are wealthy here. So I think Paul's words here for, are all of us. It's for all of us. So as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. The uncertainty of riches is just that. They can be here today and gone tomorrow. The markets can crash in an instant. It could all be gone. It could all be gone. Everything that you're putting your security in could be gone tomorrow. It's uncertain. But God is here yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and He loves you, and He cares for you, and He has given you everything that we have, and He will continue to care for us. He is ever steady and never fails. So set your hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God has richly provided everything that we have. It is all His on loan to us, and we will be held accountable for how we manage His gifts to us. Put your hope in the gift giver, not the gift, and enjoy His gifts worshipfully. Find joy in the gifts a loving Heavenly Father has poured out on you because He loves you. We are to do good works, to do good, to be rich in good works, The wealthy have a responsibility to do good. We have a responsibility to use what God has given us for His glory and for His kingdom, to be generous and ready to share, ready to share, not holding it all for ourselves and building bigger and bigger barns for ourselves, but being generous with what God has given. Wisely sharing what God has given thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That which is truly life is life in Christ and eternal life with Him. A life lived out for the glory of God, a life lived with a focus and commitment to worship God with everything that we say and everything that we do that is described, this life in Christ is described in Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are to live out our lives as living sacrifices. That's, that's what God's called us to be, living sacrifices. That statement implies that we are going to suffer. We are going to sacrifice things. We may sacrifice a little bit of ease of life for God's kingdom. We may sacrifice a little bit of our paycheck for God's kingdom. We may sacrifice a little bit of our retirement for God's kingdom. We may sacrifice a lot of our time for God's glory and God's kingdom. A life lived out in living sacrifice for a God who's gracious and merciful and lovingly lavishes all these gifts on us. We have no excuse. We have no excuse. 
the American church should be the most generous church on the planet. And God is calling us to be this, a people so content, so content in His mercy and relationship and grace that we would be willing to give everything else away. That's really what it comes down to. Are we, are we at a place where we're willing to just give everything away for Him? Here's a hard, here's a hard question. If it really came down to it, and I don't think it does, <laughs> so I'm, I'm not saying this, but this is a, I think this is a hard question we have to ask ourselves. If, if Jesus actually walked out here or found you privately one-on-one and said, hey, go sell everything you own and come follow me. I got, I got, it's going to be crazy. We're going to have, it's going to be three years of chaos and, and then everybody's going to kill you. But it's going to be amazing. It's going to change the world, right? So like, I, I know you've got like a quarter million in, in retirement. Also, you just go, go ahead. I want you to sell everything. We got to go. And you're like, wait, what? Right? What in the world? I don't, I don't know if I could do that. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. We, we, got, we have to get to a place where we're willing to give it all for Christ. It's, it's not this 50-50 in the world, in the kingdom of God. It is 100% or nothing. I remember there's a TV show called The Chosen. Has anybody seen these TV shows? If you haven't, I would highly recommend them. I think there's like two seasons. I haven't watched the second season. But it's a, the story of Jesus and how he's calling his disciples. And um, there's this, this one guy, and I'm forgetting who it is. You, you can remind me. The one guy who doesn't follow Jesus. But what, who is it? Come on, help. Nicodemus, right. So he's calling his disciples. He goes to Nicodemus, and he's like, man, come on, you can do this. Let's go. Nicodemus is like, are you really the Messiah? Like, oh my gosh, I'm like a spiritual leader. I can't like abandon all this money, my wife, you know, and all this other stuff. But are you really the Messiah? I mean, if you're the, really the Messiah, maybe I should, you know. And I'm watching this happen, and Jesus gets ready to leave the city. And he goes to where he tells everybody to meet him, and there's this pouch of money, tons of money. And I... You would think like, oh, that's so exciting, God's providing. I just started to weep. I was bawling my eyes out. Because Nicodemus is behind the gates, and it's his money. But he wouldn't go. He didn't walk with Jesus. It was right there. Are we going to be Nicodemus? Are we going to be a people who just give it all for him? Give it all for him. There's a prayer that John Wesley prayed. It goes like this. Close your eyes and pray this with me, if you will. I am no longer my own, but yours, O God. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal, 
For now, and now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine, and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant and this promise which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Where are the prayers of the saints like this today? And we just come to God with this list of things we want. Where do we come to Him and just say, take it all? My new prayer that I've been praying is, God, use me up. Use me all up. I don't want anything left of this physical, mental body when it's all set in. Just use it all up for your kingdom. Use it all up. Mission View, this is who God's, this is the church, this is who He's called us to be. Give your life to Christ, not just... You know, I know salvation, I know what I just said, but what I'm saying is continually give your life to Christ every day, 100%. Hold nothing back. Give it all to Him. Extravagantly lay out your life to Jesus Christ. That's who He's called you to be. And that's really who you are. Just live in it. Believe it and go for it. And we'll see what God will do. On the elders' retreat, man, that could not have been more prevalent as we prayed and seeked God's face to guide and direct us as a church. What God is calling us to do is exactly what I just preached. He's, he is not just calling us to be a generous church. He's calling us to be a radically generous church. We are going to be a church that plants churches And planting churches, if you talk to Butch Persley and Maranatha Bible Church, who planted us and many other churches, is hard. It's painful. You let some of your best people go. You let some of your best and closest friends go. Being a radically generous church is painful because a large percentage of your income and a large percentage of that most churches would hoard for themselves, you give away to missionaries in Tajikistan and Turkey and Israel and Italy. But that's what we've committed to. And we are, we are not satisfied with that. I forget, we're like it's 15, 17% of our income we're giving to missionaries. Todd, you can correct me if I'm wrong. He's nodding his head, yes, so we'll just assume I'm close. I'm terrible with numbers, though. So I'm glad he's nodding. But we want to be radically generous. We want to give 40% of our income to missionaries. We want to see God's kingdom not just here in North Canton, but in surrounding areas and in the region in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Kentucky, and all over the world. We want to plant churches in Guatemala. We want to plant churches in Tajikistan and partner along with you. We want boots in the ground with all of our missionaries. I'm so excited about what God's doing. Don't get me wrong. And I I am content. (laughs) I am content in what God's giving us. I'm not content in the extension of God's kingdom so as where it's at today. Because God says there's so much more. I guess that's the one thing we it's okay to not be content with. God's kingdom growing and growing and God doing what he wants to do. So uh, one quick thing before um, we go into communion. I want you to be praying about our first church plant. Um, we have decided, the elders have decided that in the next three years we're going to plant our first church. We don't know who that planter is, but we're going to find, find them. We don't know who that team is, but God's going to raise them up. But we would ask that you would join us in prayer as we 
began to plan this thing. You know, I said base camp is going to be that place where we start to raise up leaders and send out missionaries and church planners. We're not wasting any time. We're going to do that. So would you continually pray um, over these next three years that God would make it clear where we're to plant, who we're to send to plant, and what team will go with him? And I just want you to know that it's going to take some radical generosity for us to be able to do this. But you know what I know? Is that where God leads, God provides. And God's bank account is bottomless. And he's going to do what he wants to do with or without us. So let's just hop on board and do what God calls us to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray before we go into communion. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this hard and difficult word, but true word. God, I pray that it would take deep roots in our hearts right now, that we would be a changed people, that we would learn contentment and grow in contentment. God, that we would find hope and peace and lasting satisfaction, ultimate, ultimate things in you, Jesus Christ. To you we give all glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.